This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. Hey everyone, this is a re-release of a sermon that I gave in 2016, and uh, this last weekend I was speaking out of town, uh, Memorial Day weekend, and uh, so we were wanting to release a classic, uh, and so when you're digging through the Eric Ludi classics, there's like uh, five, six hundred of them now, and uh, I shouldn't say that all of them are classics, but uh, there's some there's some real powerful ones that had a huge impact upon my life, have sort of set a tone for this environment here in Windsor and how we think and even terms that we refer to. And blanket carriers is one of them. Uh, the term being a blanket carrier actually has a certain girth and weight here. And I, I think you're going to really enjoy this message. It's uh, it's a very significant notion that when we were sort of thinking through what should we bring back uh this one obviously came to the surface and we picked it but it's for a reason and that is because as you see the church of jesus christ sort of uh getting weak and uh you know we already were concerned about the mediocrity in it right but then when it seems to even get more so it becomes a hazard for our own soul and how we respond to it when you see the weakness in your brothers and sisters in Christ around you, oftentimes you can fumble the ball. You see, we're carrying, uh, to call it a football analogy, I always seem to go to football analogies, but if the assignment was to carry this ball into the end zone and it was to show love in every circumstance, because it's the true signal of being a disciple of Christ, well, we don't want to fumble the ball just because of the weaknesses around us. We need to know how to best respond. And that's what this message is. And it's really powerful. And I hope it's a tremendous Disencouragement to you. The Blanket Carriers, a study in a Christian's approach to weaknesses in others. When you're a parent, you are very aware of the weaknesses in your children. And yet, if you parent in your approach, in your loving desire to see your children built strong, if all you focus on is their weaknesses, well, they'll be very acquainted with their weaknesses and oftentimes struggle with having a vision for their life of where God would actually want to take them or the fact that they have any value in God's eyes at all. And so oftentimes we model something unto those that are around us. If you have a family, uh, it's not just a parent to a child, but if you have a family, you, often, you oftentimes have a PhD in your family's weaknesses. How do we deal with those weaknesses? And because when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, in a sense, the more we spend time together, the more we can become experts in the weaknesses of those around us. Have you ever seen one of those marriages that started out and it was beautiful? And they ride off into the sunset and all they could see were the virtues in each other. And they had such a vision for what God could do in their life. And then after a couple years, they find themselves unable to see virtue and only able to see weakness. And so this message is very pertinent. I deal almost on a professional level. This is a funny statement, but my job 
in leading the body of Christ is to somehow know how to deal with weak vessels. Because it's the body of Christ. You'd say, well, they should be just completely solved, all problems dealt with. Didn't they all pray a prayer? Didn't they all come to Jesus? Yeah, and they're being sanctified. And so how I approach you in my role is of critical importance. And I need to know how to apply what the Bible calls grace. Because I could be a student of your weaknesses. And then I could gather together with the other pastors and say, yeah, have you seen this behavior? Mm -hmm. I saw it too. Boy, we have some issues in this church. And I could easily begin to study the body with a critical eye instead of the eye of Christ. Which is a funny statement because God sees all, doesn't he? And it's an amazing thought that God saw us in our sinful state and yet still pursued us and saw something of value and such, such, in fact, such value that he gave his life to gain it. Okay. Most of us do not see that value in each other. And yet God sees it. There's a lens. It's like a pair of glasses we need to switch. We need to see something different. If we truly are the redeemed of God, then we need to stick on the new glasses. It's called the renewing of the mind where we begin to look out and we see each other, and what do we see? We see royalty. We see value. You see, the world looks around, and they're based on a, a system of humanism, which is the more you contribute to society, the more value you have. I was in the airport yesterday coming back from Wisconsin, and these, uh, this father and a son uh, were standing there, and I was walking out after buying a water, uh, I was, my voice was giving away after preaching all day long yesterday. So I got my water after going through security. Some of you know that process. And they were, they were talking, and the, the father said, go up to him and ask him. Uh, and, and, I, and they said, no, ask him if he's a Bronco fan. And, and I, I'm thinking, are they talking about me? I mean, I'm standing right there in the way. And uh, so I said, you guys Broncos fans? I mean, what a strange intro to a conversation. And the, and the little kid goes, I'm a Green Bay fan. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, what, a, what a weird conversation this is. Well, it turns out there was a Bronco behind me, okay? And so the kid was like, no way am I going to ask him. However, it's interesting to see how this father and this son were just lit up with excitement when they actually encountered this, this man, who has value in our system of thought and in our culture. And I mean, even 10 minutes later, I walked by again, and they are just talking. I mean, I know the feeling. I mean, when I was growing up, if I could have a conversation with John Elway, it would have been the greatest thing in my life, right? But this is how a humanistic society works. It places value on those that contribute and can supply something, even if it's entertainment, even if it's just a show of strength, and we show honor and deference to it. So you take the weaker things of this world, and they can't contribute. A little orphan child in the streets of Mexico City has nothing to give, and as a result, in a humanistic system, it's devalued. Yet you put on God's lens, God's eyes, and what do you see? You see value, even though the world says, get rid of it. You as a Christian begin to see something different. You say, whoa, whoa I'll give my life to preserve it. Well, what? what? What is that? That's what we need here. In this room, we need to see what God sees. <clears throat> Genesis 9. This is going to be, in a sense, a picture. In the Old Testament, 
of something quite profound. It is right after the flood. There has, they have, the sons of Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives have exited the ark, and a new creation, if you will, has begun. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. That's actually very interesting, even though it might not make much of a difference to you. Canaan is uh, the land of Canaan, uh, where it's actually, if you want to say it, the great obstacle to the work of grace. And this is the antithesis, or that which is contrary to what God is desiring to do. So God says, this territory, it's called the land of Canaan. I am giving it to you as a promise. It's called the promised land. Well, who lives inside of it? Well, all the sons of Ham. Ham's sons are like, we're going to go right where God wants his people to be, and we're going to plant our kingdoms right there. It's the antagonistic dimension, that which is opposed to what God is desiring to move forward. So we have an Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. You're a descendant of Noah. Isn't that interesting? We all know that we're of Adam, but... You want to bake it down, you're also of Noah. Very specifically, you can trace all, every one of us can trace our roots back to Noah. And Noah began to be a husbandman. That's a vine dresser. That's one who keeps grapes or a vineyard. So Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. It's sort of an awkward little story. And there's all sorts of speculation, you know, maybe uh, grapes couldn't uh, ferment before, he didn't know. Whatever the reason, I mean, Noah's a good guy, right? However, he has some grapes, he makes some wine, which is merely the blood of a grape, that's all it is. It's the equivalent of grape juice. However, it can ferment, as we all know, and it becomes something known as wine. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, uh-oh, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. So this is, I have to admit, a rather awkward story. And some of you, especially the parents, are going, well, thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> However, the Bible brings it up, and it just happens to be symbolic. You see, nakedness in Scripture is strange and is awkward, and as weird as it is to bring up in church, the place of such utter purity, it is still a very significant symbol of something. You see, Adam and Eve... After sin entered the world, after they rebelled and believed the word of the serpent, instead of believing the word of God, they walked in disobedience and suddenly they were exposed. They were naked. And so nakedness seems to be a symbol of that which is, I know, uncovered, but that which no longer has a covering. Are you follow me? This is going to be important in this. The name of this message is the blanket carriers. Okay, that which is lacking a covering. For whatever reason, whatever led to this, whatever's going on in Noah's mind, I can't explain it. However, Noah has become drunk, and he is exposed. He is lacking a covering. And so he is in his weakness, and he is in a state which reveals weakness, and it's not something that is right. Something about this situation, even within the context of this scripture, it's clear that Noah is in a compromised state. How his sons respond to this is of extreme importance in this story. God only shares that which is needful for our training and understanding how we live as Christians. That's what he shares in the Bible. And out of all the stories, 950 years of Noah's life, the poor guy has this as one of his stories. I mean, I just feel bad for him. 
And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. And what did he do? He told his two brethren without, that were outside. So you imagine Noah's in a tent. Ham steps in, sees this nakedness. And what does he do? He goes outside the tent and goes to his brothers and talks about the nakedness. Listen to this. And he told his two brothers without, and Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Ham saw the nakedness. Shem and Japheth, though they knew of the nakedness, did not study the nakedness. And as a result, they solved the nakedness in a very specific way, which gives us understanding of the son of Shem, known as the seed of God, also known as Jesus Christ, of how he took something upon his shoulders and backed into a position where he could cover us. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan! A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem! And Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Now, the global ramifications of that, for some of you that are students or have been at Ellerslie for a long time, I mean, your brain can be going through there going, that is profound, it really is. The whole orchestration of how these scenes are even revealed and how the histories of the people of God showcase and give us an understanding of how the life and the kingdom of God works, it's quite profound. Short little story. Why God passed this on may be lost on many of us, but I don't want it to be lost on you today. The two options for handling the weakness in others. So we have weakness, we have something known as nakedness. Now let me, let me go back and I just want to add a little piece here. There is a, a theater group, oh, I know that they're in, La I think it's Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and also in Branson, Missouri. Do you guys remember what the, the name of that troupe is? Sight and Sound Theaters? Yeah. And so the, the, the kids and I, Leslie, the kids and I all went to, I think it was Jonah. Uh, whatever it was, it was quite well done. I mean, these guys are really good. If you ever get a chance to see one of their performances, they're very Christ-centered. It's quite amazing. But, uh, in, so we got all these videos. We spent a lot on the videos. They do a good job of getting you to buy stuff at the end, too. And so the Ludi family did not come out unscathed. Uh, <laughs> and so one of the videos was something to do with creation. So it was Adam and Eve and the story of that. And it's interesting because the way that they portrayed it, which is very awkward, how do you do a stage play of people that don't have any clothes on? Okay, that's really awkward. I mean... They weren't covered yet, so what do you do when they're like prancing around naming animals? I mean, so this is just pure awkwardness. What, here's what they did. They were clothed originally. The way that they presented is that Adam and Eve were clothed, but not with clothing of skin of animals of this earth. They were clothed with the glory of God. They were shrouded with something. It was an actual clothing. And when they sinned is when they lost that clothing, and they became uncovered. And then, of course, the whole story is going to the end saying, and what Jesus Christ did 
was bring back clothing to them. You know what? I've never had that thought before. You just picture that they're just created without any clothes, which is true, but they did have clothes. But they weren't clothes knit of this earth, of the skins of animals. They were knit of God, and God was their covering. And what we lost, and all of us know this when we know the gospel, is we are clothed in the wrong thing. We are clothed in our own nakedness, our own sin. And as a result, we don't have a buffer. We don't have salvation. We are lost, and we are exposed as sinful. That which was supposed to be covered is uncovered, and we are vulnerable. And unless we know our nakedness, unless we see it and recognize, I need a covering, we're vulnerable. So we're going to be around a lot of people in this earth that are uncovered, that have things showing that aren't supposed to be showing. You see, that's not supposed to be visible. How are we going to handle that? So there's two options for handling the weakness in others. We'll call it the ham method. You see the nakedness, and it says in Scripture, Ham saw the nakedness of his father. And then two, you tell your brothers about the nakedness. Ham told his two brothers. What would that be the equivalent of in the church? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen this? I mean, this is, I mean, I love them, don't get me wrong, but I mean, this is really irritating. I mean, I was just so shocked when I heard that. You see, we are talkers. We are gossipers, we are slanderers, we are accusers of the brethren, we are fault finders. Whoa! In the church of Jesus Christ? We can't pull a ham. Ham is the father of the Canaanites. It's that which opposes the spirit of grace. This destroys the church. It doesn't build it up. The Shem and Japheth method. They hear of the nakedness. You know that there's something called discernment? And there's even things where someone will come blaring into your life and tell you about someone else's weakness. How do you handle that, though? You know that discernment in the body, you may perceive something and know that someone has a weakness. But how do you handle that? Do you go and tell everyone around you? Do you expose it to everyone? Hey, guys, my father's in the buff. Come on, guys. Everyone take a look. Or do you pull a Shem and a Japheth? Listen to how they handled it. They hear of the nakedness. In other words, Ham told his two brothers. They knew about it. But they take a garment. Oh, Remember, I call this the blanket carriers. We as Christians take a garment. Shem and Japheth took a garment. And then that's what it says in Scripture. And then three, they set it upon their shoulders. They laid it upon both their shoulders. They go backward toward the vulnerable individual. It says in scripture, they went backward. And they cover the nakedness. It says they covered the nakedness. And then six, with faces backward, not seeing the nakedness the whole while. And their faces were backward and they saw not the nakedness. Their focus is not on the sin. Their focus is on covering the sin. He that covers a transgression. You start studying this in Scripture. This is why I mean I'm dealing with like one one thousandth of what Scripture says on this. The more you begin to deal with this, it's like, whoa, whoa, I think I just uncorked something. That's right. This is the centerpiece of what God is doing throughout history. Something has been uncovered and exposed. And so right now we have earthly garments covering it up. But God intended a heavenly garment to cover our sin. We can kill goats and sheep all we want and we can create coverings. 
But there is a covering of the glory of God that is supposed to dawn the people of God. Oh, Jesus, come. Oh, Messiah, Hosanna in the highest. Please come and clothe us once again. He that covers a transgression seeks love. But he that repeats a matter separates very friends. You have the Ham method right there, and you have the Shem and Japheth method in one scripture. And God is very clear in showing what the wise man does and what the fool does. The fool will pull a ham and he'll start talking about it. And he will separate the very body of Christ. However, he that covers a transgression, covers that nakedness, seeks love. You can be aware of nakedness without looking upon it and inspecting the nakedness. And I think this is where we need our toolkit. We need to know how to process the difficulties and the weaknesses that we're going to encounter as a body. Because I guarantee you, as you study and inspect, as you just go about your life, you are going to recognize weakness around you. But how you handle that is of the utmost importance. Whereas if someone were to say, is there weakness in the body of Christ at Ellerslie? Well, of course. Yeah, that, but that's not the point. But we, we've learned as a body how to cover it. You see, we are a grace-filled body. The concept of graciousness is exactly this. Turning backward, putting a garment on your shoulders, and then backing up and covering it. That's how grace works. So when you see weakness, how do you respond to it? With grace. The same way Jesus responded to your weakness. A talebearer, a ham, reveals secrets. Yeah, my dad's in the tent. You wouldn't believe it. Come, come take a look. A talebearer reveals secrets. You know that Satan is the talebearer? He's the accuser of the brethren. Cursed be Canaan! Cursed be Ham! That is not how we are to function towards our spiritual fathers, our father, or our family. This is not appropriate. This is not right. But he that is of a faithful spirit, what does he do? He conceals. He covers a matter. Moving forward, but doing it backward. This is a strange statement. You know that these men are progressing something? They are accomplishing something that in the Bible has terminology to it that is going to surprise you. Because what Ham and Japheth did was cover nakedness. In Scripture, this idea of covering nakedness is known as atonement. It's known as redemption. It's known as paying a ransom. It's all these terms that we all know but have never associated it with carrying a blanket backwards and setting it over something. It's like, what? What does that have to do with it? Moving forward, but doing it backward. In other words, God has called you to move this direction. But how do you move that direction? With grace. In other words, the way we address the sin in the body, the way that we progress the kingdom of heaven, is that we move forward, but we do it with honor. We do it humbly. So the reason that you go backwards, and let me just give you a framework of this. The idea of going backwards is a symbol of great humility. Okay, so if you have the high and exalted king here, then you enter not with a pompous attitude like, yeah, I deserve to be here, but you turn backwards and humbly you come in to say, I'm unworthy to stand in such a presence, and you show honor. So backwards treading is actually a symbol. You're still moving forward. You're moving towards the presence. 
however you do it with honor. And so that backwards movement is in order to show honor, in order to seek love. Remember, it's those that cover or conceal a transgression seek love. You are seeking love and to not look upon weakness. When you are approaching something that is weak, something that is naked, something that is exposed, where are your eyes fixed? You see, that way you handle that is very important. Are you inspecting the sin or are you remembering the one who saves us from sin and who saved you from sin? So as you handle someone else's sin, make sure that you approach it backwards. So, but rather to cover over the weakness. So to not look upon the weakness, but to cover the weakness. And that's why you go forward backward. Hatred stirs up strifes. Canaan stirs up strifes. But love covers all sins. And this is what Peter is referencing as far as the scripture when it says that love covers a multitude of sins in the New Testament. You see, this is the idea. This is wisdom right here. Hatred stirs up strifes. Ham, Ham's method. No, 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 not in the church. But love covers all sins. Love backs up and covers it. You see, some of us are a little concerned in this because if all you're doing is throwing blankets on everything, you ever heard of the elephant in the living room under the carpet? That's what a lot of us go to in our minds. Like, well, that's not really dealing with anything. You see, that's a completely different issue. That's ignoring and acting like something doesn't exist. What God is doing is he's directly addressing it. Noah really is naked. Something needs to be done because we have ham running around broadcasting it. So what are we going to do? In the healthiest sense, we need to put, pick up a garment and walk backwards and set it over him. And that's what love does. Love addresses the issue, doesn't ignore it, addresses the issue, but God's way. The high priest of Israel, Nathan, I, I don't want to pin Nathan down on this because Nathan said, because we were talking about this uh, late, late in the week and we were talking about this particular message and I was telling him about Shem and Japheth. And he goes, you know, it's really interesting and of course I can't prove it. This is what Nathan said and I, I still can't prove it. But he said, I was told somewhere along the journey of, of my Christian growth that the high priest, when he entered into the Holy of Holies, entered in backward as a show of humility before the presence of God. Well, that's about as perfect as you can get. I love that. Wait till you hear how that could fit into my message. I can't prove it, but it's still really good. So, so now you could say, yeah, Eric and Nathan both have said that the high priest enter in, enters in backwards. I didn't say that. However, it is fascinating. The love that seeks to cover. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Above all things. If you're going to get down to brass tacks of what matters most here, what is it? You need to have a fervent love for one another. If we're healthy, what should we be exercising as far as a priority above all things? That we're saying, let's cultivate this. What are we cultivating? Because there's a lot of things we could cultivate. There's a lot of great truths in Scripture that we could foster in this room. However, Peter is saying, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. New Testament. Church talk. This is how we function. God, I know it sounds strange, but he covers. That's what he does. 
I know, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve are exposed. You know that they didn't go and knit for themselves clothing? Do you know who covered them? God covered them with the skins of animals. God covers his action. This is a verb that I'm going to show you. His action is he covers. It's one of the things God does. When God goes to work, what does he do? Well, he covers. He's a professional coverer. Introduced in an important Hebrew word. So the way that this started out is Bo, uh, had, Bo Matzit had said, you know, I'm really feeling a burden that maybe we walk through a series as a church just on reconciliation. And so I was praying about that this last week, and I, I was looking at the idea of reconciliation in the Hebrew, and this is the word that is basically used, translated reconciliation. And yet it's, it's a word that I wouldn't think of translating as reconciliation. So if I'm the scholar in the Hebrew and I'm thinking of what to translate that, I wouldn't think reconciliation. Reconciliation is a very specific word in the English language to us. But the idea in the Hebrew is something that it might shock you to make things right with others, to restore proper relationship, okay? If there is someone in this room that arrived without any clothes on, did you know that we have an awkward relationship with that person? Okay, and you don't need to use your imagination on this other than the fact that let's just agree that yes, it's strange, it's awkward, and what are we gonna do as a body? Get them a covering. Because we cannot have normal relationship with them until there's a covering. And this is the idea of reconciliation. In other words, as long as there is something that is hindering that relationship, let's cover it. Let's cover that which is creating the awkwardness because you can't really have a normal conversation with them. There is a gap between you and them. Here, take this, stick it on. And that's actually the Old Testament understanding of how reconciliation would work. Introducing an important Hebrew word, kafar. It's a verb, so this is the action. The action of God and then the action that he prescribes to his priests. You see, we do the work of the temple just as the priests in the Old Testament did a work. But this is primarily the work of the priest. His name is Jesus Christ, the great heavenly high priest. And he came to Kafar. When he went to work, this is the work he did. This is the work that is prophesied. This is the work that is modeled throughout the entire Old Testament. This is what he will do when he comes. He will kafar. So what does this word mean? It means to cover. The great Messiah, the anointed one, will cover you. However, that's not typically how it's translated. It's to atone. He will bring about atonement. And that's just a big, fancy, spiritual-sounding word that all of us nod and go, yay, amen. However, what is atonement? To satisfy. You see, there is a problem, and that is that we are naked. And as a result, we cannot enter the throne room of grace. We are kept out because it's only those that are covered that can enter into God's presence. Our nakedness is our problem. And so what is he going to do? He's going to satisfy the problem. He is going to bring a satisfactory conclusion to it. He is going to finish what is wrong. And he is going to clothe us so that we can enter. He is going to atone. 
With his own shed blood, he is going to knit for us a garment, a garment of the very life of God and the glory of God, and that will be satisfying to God. It also means to reconcile. There is a break in relationship. There is a break of health in communication. But what God does when he goes to work is he satisfies and he remedies and mends that relationship so that it can come back to restoration. It means to cover as with pitch. Pitch is like asphalt for any of you uh, that might not know that. But to cover as with pitch is actually one of the uses in this, uh, of this word, which is really strange. I mean, to cover, but it's an action. So when God tells Noah, build an ark and kafar. Noah's supposed to kafar. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to cover this ark with pitch. Remember what that ark is? It's the saving device for a people. Judgment is coming. And unless you're in that ark, you have no hope. And God commands Noah to kafar that ark. That ark will be clothed. It will be atoned. I mean, isn't that a strange thought? That the ark, that saving device, will be covered. It also means to pardon. It means to cover a sin, very specifically in the Old Testament. It means this, to forgive a sin and to purge a sin. Can you think of something that more clarifies the work of the Messiah here on earth? What has he come to do? He's come to do that for you. And Aaron shall make an atonement. Aaron is the brother of Moses, and he was the first high priest of Israel. Aaron is a very significant character, and his actions are going to typify that which the great high priest of our soul, Jesus Christ, will do. And Aaron shall make an atonement. He shall, and this is actually a verb, he shall kafar, is what it says. He shall cover for the people. He shall do a work that will actually satisfy God. Okay, and that was a work of sacrifice, of shed blood. Upon the horns of it once in a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Atonement and atonements are a different Hebrew word. Atonements is plural. In other words, this is many redemptions, many ransoms, many uh, acts of atonement. Okay, so this is kafar that I'm showing you in the bold right now. Once in a year shall he kafar. That's what he's going to do. He's going to do the work of a priest and he's going to cover. Upon it throughout your generations, it is most holy unto the Lord. Now this is a word, this is a noun. The other one was a verb. But this is the results of the covering. This is what God does. He does the kafar to create what we could call a kofar. Now, I, I should have dedicated this message to Judah and Heather Kofer, uh, because, I mean, I was thinking, that is a great name. If you understand the Hebrew idea of Kofer, it's like, wow, I want that last name. I got Ludi, and he gets Kofer. I mean, that's just good stuff. But it means a cover. It's a covering. It's that which covers. And it's also a village. I mean, I know it's like, what? It's a village. You know what a village is? It's a covering for a people. So it's a group of people all under the same covering, and that was known as a village. It's, used for, it's pitch as used for coating. So they actually call the pitch, or that which covers the ark, as a kofar. So it's the cover. It's that which covers the ark. What would it do? It would keep anything of the judgment from seeping in through the gopher wood. 
that it can't seep in because it is covered. It is also used to describe a henna plant, which is very strange, right? Which is used for dyeing. You know what color? Red. Figuratively, a redemption price. And it's also, get this, the word kofar is also what you pay to redeem someone. This one word, that kafar work which covers is all revealed in scripture for more than just an individual covering, but also a covering for a people. But more than that, it is that which seals out the judgment, that which hinders anything of that judgment that is coming upon those that are in sin from entering into that vehicle that God has created for us as our covering. And it is also, as strange as this is, a red dye. And that is a covering. And it is a redemption price, a ransom, a satisfaction, a sum of money. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Uh, this is what God said to Noah. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark. See, this is a carrying device, and there's rooms in it. And, sh and shalt kafar it within and without with kofar. So kafar it, that's the action. Noah is called to kafar, to cover it with kofar. So cover it with the covering. Okay, this is just how the ark was built. And that ark should remind you of Jesus Christ. So it's a dwelling, a village, a pitch, that which seals out the judgment. Cypress, or the henna leaf, the powder, listen to this, the powder of a leaf that when combined with water is used by women to lacquer a red ornamental coating over their fingernails. That is just about as strange as you can get. It's a coating. It's like a lacquer that covers and then the price paid for reconciliation, for covering, for atonement, the redemption price of his life. So the plural of these words is what we understand as Kippur. Have you ever heard of Yom Kippur? It's the day of atonement. So it's the day of covering is actually what it means. It's the day in which we are covered. It's atonement or many redemptions, many reconciled. This isn't a singular atonement. This is atonement for the village, that which is covered. It's the people. It's many made right, many covered, many forgiven, many purged of their sin, many pardoned, many ransomed. I like that word. It feels very Jewish, doesn't it? If you say Yom Kippur, you just feel Jewish even saying it. However, there's our hope. It's not just that he came and did this for one. He did this for many on the day of atonement the day of covering. Kaporeth, these are all come from the same Hebrew verb. So when you understand that movement or that action of God, you begin to realize that that word is used by God in its various ways to enunciate the very thing that God has done for us. So a kaporeth means the mercy seat. You guys ever heard of the mercy seat? The mercy seat is in the holy of holies, and it is that which, get this, covers the Ark of Covenant. You know what else the mercy seat is? It's when the high priest enters once a year. So you can imagine him backing in, because Nathan said that he backs in, right? <laughs> imagine him backing in, and what does he do? He covers the mercy seat with the blood of a lamb. You see, that atoning blood is flecked, sprinkled on the mercy seat. 
So this is actually the throne of God. It is that which satisfies and covers. So it is a covering. The very name mercy seat could be atonement seat. It could be the covering seat. It could be the covering of grace. However you want to say it, the covering of glory. However, it is a picture of Jesus, and it is actually a seat known as the throne of God. I don't know where you, if you've ever studied enough to know where Jesus currently sits, but he sits at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of grace. Mm -hmm. That's his seat. So everything that is happening here is symbolic of the one who sits right there. What that one will do. So, and it's called the Kaporeth the mercy seat, the place of atonement, the golden plate of propitiation on which the high priest sprinkled the seat seven times in the day of atonement, symbolically reconciling Jehovah and his chosen people. The slab of gold on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which measured 2.5 by 1.5 cubits on it, and part of it were the two golden cherubim facing each other whose outstretched wings came together above and constituted the throne of God. That's the name. This is the covering. This is what covers the covenant. That Ark of Covenant, you know what's inside that Ark of Covenant? Everything that symbolizes Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus was given by the three, well, he was given three gifts. Whether or not it was three kings, we don't know. However, he was given three gifts. And those kings that came from the east, they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. To a Jew that's symbolic of the presence of the Most High God, Jehovah. That's the Holy of Holies. It's plated with gold. It smells of two things, incense and myrrh. And so these kings from the east actually are saying, he is from the presence of God. Whoa, what a statement from outside of Israel to come in and literally speak in the Hebrew language of understanding of the Holy of Holies. And then that Ark of Covenant, what's inside of it? What does that covering cover? A pot of manna. Bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus Christ. The tablets of stone, the perfect righteousness of God, Jehovah Sidkenu, he is our righteousness. And then a rod, Aaron's rod that budded, symbolic of what we understand as canon, the word of God. That's, 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 that's Jesus. Uh-huh. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is where he came from, and this is where he returns, but this time... He comes back with you in his stead. He is carrying you in him. He is the atonement. He is the covering. He is the clothing. And he has brought you near by his shed blood. He's brought you to the caparet. The blanket of love and grace. I know that some of your challenges in your life with people, have you ever thought how much easier it would be just to work with dogs? <laughs> I've joked about that every now and then. It's like, because the enemy will say something like, just give it up, Eric. Just give it up. People are always going to do this to you. They're always going to turn on you. They're always going to stab you in the back. Just give up on people. You know, what kind of ministry is it when you give up on people? It's not a very effective one. I know there's a bait probably for every single one of us because we don't get a lot of stabs in the back from our golden retriever. <laughs> However, the work of Jesus is towards some very unlovely things. Those that he was ministering to crucified him. Are we willing to walk that road? 
You see, it's called, I'm just calling it a blanket. It could be called a garment. In Isaiah 61, it's called a garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness. But I want us as the body to consider right now putting this on our shoulders. And that when we minister to a very unlovely naked world, and even see nakedness within this body that's still there because we're being sanctified, that we understand how to approach it and move forward backward so that we can truly do the work of grace in this world. The blanket of love and grace, can you think of a greater picture of going forward backward than the cross? How did Jesus bring about a sacrifice and enter into that holy place? He yielded his back. And when you approach a cross, how do you approach a cross? Back first. Isn't that an amazing statement? That symbol of sin. How did he approach our sin? He backed in. He took the robe, he took a garment known as his own life. He takes it off himself, and how did he hang there? Naked. He hung naked. We're the naked ones. Yet he takes off his clothing, backs in, and covers us with his shed blood. The high priest has covered the amazing picture and how that has humbled me afresh to realize here we are with such a garment to carry. It's not our own shed blood that we carry. It's his work. When we believe, he says, now you have a garment to put on others. Would you carry this? And most of us come straight in with a snarl on our face and say, here, put this on. You're disgusting. Instead of recognizing the nature of God, that we do not study people's sin. We do not cheer on their sin. We do not enable their sin. But we have a solution. And it's the grace of God. It's the love of God. And the manner in which we address the weaknesses, the things that still are showing in people's lives, we could look upon it as Ham did. And we could talk about it as Ham did. Or we could be as Shem and his great descendant Jesus. And we could bear a cross and enter backward into this world. Though we move forward, we move forward with honor and love to, to take that same garment that was shed for us and to place it on the weak around us. And he, bearing his cross, what did the cross rest upon? His back. Bearing his cross went forth. So we could say it this way. Bearing his cross on his back, he went forward. That's how the cross worked. He went forward, backward, into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. And he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking, if any man will come after me, if any man will go forward in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to move forward in the kingdom, in the life of grace, what do you need to do? Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You want to move forward? Accept the cross. Back into your cross. Bear it. What? This is how the Christian lives. This is how Jesus lived, and this is how we follow. Well, what is a cross for us? We're not the atoning sacrifice for the world, but get this. We are blanket carriers. 
You see, he is the blanket carrier. Make it all caps. We are blanket carriers. We still carry that same love and grace. Because when we believe we are clothed, we are atoned, we are reconciled, we now have a covering. But not just a covering for ourselves, a covering to offer to others. And so when we go into this world, we have a ministry. You know what that ministry is? It's called the ministry of reconciliation. So let's get some good Hebrew understanding in that. The ministry of blanket carrying. The ministry of bearing another's burden. The ministry of not focusing on sin, but to offer a solution for it. We do not delight in it. We don't want to see it. We want to offer unto it that which God has given. All of us have been naked. And if you have found clothing in Jesus Christ, then the least you can do is offer clothing to others. If you've been forgiven, forgive. If you've been reconciled unto the Father, bring the ministry of reconciliation to others. Who are you to hold it back? Your flow through channel out of their heart or out of their innermost will flow rivers of living water. It's the covering water. It's the water that atones. It's the water that covers. So let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow. You want to move forward, take up your cross. And whosoever does not bear his cross, whoever does not come backward and come after me cannot be my disciple. You're supposed to come after Jesus, but how are you supposed to do it? With something on your back. You see, it's the weights and it's the burdens of a dying world that we are also called to carry. You know what ministry is in its basic nutshell? It's working with difficult people. That's what we do. I know many of us have a romanticized notion that we're going to go into this world and preach the gospel and everyone's just going to fall down on their face and weep and cry and then hug us. I, believe me, I've had that notion at various times and I've been so shocked of the fact that I've gotten anything but hugs. It's like, God, I'm just doing your work. I said, Eric, I was just doing my father's work. I got crucified. It's like, oh, yeah, but that was you. It's supposed to be all bed of roses now, isn't it? We still are carrying on that work of covering. And there's a world that actually celebrates nakedness. They want to stay naked. They don't want a covering. And here we are, out of honor and humility, saying, please, accept this garment. We live in a fallen world where nakedness is all around us. And yet the way we handle that is to look away and to back in, bearing a cross and bearing that burden and giving them that which was given to us. And whosoever does not, and I'm going to take that previous scripture right here, and I'm going to add a little atonement language to it. And whosoever does not humbly back into the splintery wood of a self-sacrificing, loving lifestyle, and come after me, walking backward with the garment of grace poised upon their shoulders to cover the weakness of others, cannot be my disciple. This is how we live in the kingdom of heaven. This is what defines us. What does Jesus say? You will know my disciples. You will know those that, have follow, that are following me. Why? Because they are poised like this and ready to go backward to the cross. They understand what they have been forgiven. They understand my grace in their lives. And as a result, they are ready to give it to others. That's how you'll recognize them. Let's pick up our cross. 
Go forward, backward. I know, for some of you, that your mental idea, every time I say that, is like, oh, I still can't understand this going forward, backward. Jesus went forward and finished the work. How did he do it? Backward. And if you want to say it, I mean, this is a strange thought, but when you sit down in a seat, how do you sit down? Not forward. And so even if we say the high priest, oh, we don't know that he entered backward, he has to turn at some point because he's going to take a seat. And when he takes that seat, he's entering backward. What's on the mercy seat, the very covering itself, the symbol of the cross is right there in the Holy of Holies as a forever memorial of what he has done. It's a seat covered in blood. The blood of the one who sits upon it. And we, as a forever memorial in our own souls, have been brought into that very place and we are covered. How? Not with our own good works, not with our own sacrifices, not with our own prayers, but with his work, with his covering. And that's what secures us. It's the pitch that surrounds the ark. No leakage, no judgment can enter in. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are sealed, we are covered, we are redeemed, we are ransomed. You pick your synonym in the Old Testament. It is finished. We are covered. That's what Jesus is saying. It is done. I have covered the village. I have given what was necessary to satisfy, to supply clothing to the naked. The enemy stole it, and they are dead in their trespasses. But I have passed by, and I have thrown my garment over them, and they are clothed. Going forward backward, go forward with self-sacrificing, forbearing love. Ephesians 4, by the way, the whole, Old the whole New Testament rings forth in the epistles with this exact idea. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Well, we just discussed what that looks like. When you're bearing with one another in love, you pull a Shem and a Japheth. You don't focus on the weaknesses, but you're always ready to offer grace and mercy and love and kindness the same way he offered it to you. You are ready to offer it. Every time I discipline my children, I go through a certain process. And at the very end, you know, they ask for forgiveness. They have to be very specific, like, Daddy, will you forgive me? And I say, for what? I want you to say the full thing. Daddy, will you forgive me for being disobedient? And I say, absolutely. I say, because Jesus always forgives me. So therefore, I always forgive you. Sometimes I even ask them, why does daddy always forgive you? Because Jesus always forgives you. That's right. You see, we are the flow-through channel of that same mercy and the same grace that was purchased for us, that was demonstrated to us at that cross. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, endeavoring to be Shems and Japheths and not Hams that we would keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Remember Ham. Remember Ham. Don't be a Ham. 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, but for that which builds up, that which establishes health, that it may impart grace, that it may be that garment to those you are approaching. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, covered for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Pull a Shem and Japheth back in with a garment on your shoulders. Jesus carried a cross on his shoulders. Now we carry the gospel on ours. We carry the good news, the gracious covering the robe that was supplied to us, we have something to give, something to supply. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Put on. Put it on your shoulders. Get ready. In position. Because there's going to be a lot of opportunities to supply it to others. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The worm and the wood. Remember Jesus on the cross? Psalm 22, for those of you that have hung out at Ellerslie, you know my passion for Psalm 22. Psalm 22, when Jesus is on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he cries that out, it's the first line of Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before. And it's the equivalent of him in front of a nation saying, Psalm 22! He fulfilled it. Granular detail. Read Psalm 22 and stand in awe afresh. He did it. But in that uh, psalm, he says something very interesting. I am a worm and no man. Now this is something that Philip Hartman shared with me. And I thought, you know, it was very appropriate to show the nature of the one who has given his life for us, and to recognize that this is how we live as the church. We live as a worm, and not as a normal man of this earth. You see, we are redeemed, we are changed, we are renewed, we are transformed. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. To behave as this very worm that I'm about to describe for you behaves towards its young. So this is from the Alpha Omega Institute, and I, there's a lot of different things that could be said about this. I decided for simplicity, I was just going to read what they wrote. Usually in the Bible, the Hebrew word for a worm is rimah, which means a maggot. But the Hebrew word Jesus used here for worm is tolaoth, which means crimson worm or scarlet worm. Both scarlet and crimson are the colors of blood, deep red. The crimson worm, the cocos alysis, is a very special worm that looks more like a grub than a worm. When it is time for the female or mother crimson worm to have babies, which she does only one time in her life, she finds the trunk of a tree, a wooden fence post, or a stick. She then attaches her body to that wood and makes a hard crimson shell. Do you remember the coating, the fingernail, the red fingernail polish? I mean, it's just truly extraordinary. Then she attaches her body to that wood and makes a hard crimson shell. She is so strongly and permanently stuck to the wood that the shell can never be removed without tearing her body completely apart and killing her. The crimson worm then lays her eggs under her body and the protective shell. When the baby worms or larvae hatch, they stay under the shell. 
Not only does the mother's body give protection for her babies, but it also provides them with food. The babies feed on the living body of the mother. After just a few days, when the young worms grow to the point that they are able to take care of themselves, the mother dies. As the mother crimson worm dies, she oozes a crimson or scarlet red dye, which not only stains the wood she is attached to, but also her young children. They are colored scarlet red for the rest of their lives. After three days, after three days, the dead mother crimson worm's body loses its crimson color and turns into a white wax, which falls to the ground like snow. Can you say resurrected Christ? Uh, wow. This is how Christ approached the cross. Psalm 22. I am the scarlet worm! is what he is saying. Whoa. He's attached himself to an oak tree. He's attached himself in such a way that even though the angels of heaven could rescue him, he refused to let go. It was our sin that held him there. He has a garment to give. And until it is finished and until our nakedness is covered, he will not stop going backward. He stays fixed in a position and he is giving rise to newness of life and to children. Children that are born in that covenant of his shed blood, legally adopted into his kingdom. Wow. And after three days, this hard shell turns into a waxen white. Our Jesus lives. And we have been redeemed, covered by his gracious, loving work, going backward to cover our sin. The blanket carriers, that's the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. Jesus is the blanket carrier. He's the atoning sacrifice. He's the coverer. He's the high priest, the great, eternal, heavenly high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he has covered us. And now we are little blanket carriers, Christians. The Christ has done the work, and now we are little Christs little anointed ones who go into this world with the same love and the same grace. It's available to all of us. I know that there's pain and I know that there's weakness in this body. I know that we've seen things that we wish we hadn't seen. We want the body to just be perfect. However, when you catch your family member in a compromised situation, when you find that they are still exhibiting nakedness, pull a Jesus and do precisely what he did. You have a garment, back in and set it over them. Noah was uncovered within his tent and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, pick up your cross, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Ezekiel 16, 6 and 8. 
When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love, so I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. A picture of the atoning work of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We were covered in our own life, our own deceit, our own nakedness. And he has covered our nakedness with his own skirt, with his own garment, with his own broken body and poured out wine. He has given us that which we cannot manufacture and knit together in our own works of righteousness. Our own righteousness, our own power to clothe ourselves as his filthy rags. But his power, his ability to clothe us is perfect. And it is finished. Our response is, I accept that clothing. I receive it. I believe that what you have done for me is sufficient. And when we are clothed, we become those that bear that clothing upon our own shoulders to back in like Shem and Japheth to cover the weaknesses of others. I want us to practically apply this in our lives today. If you're a child, I want you to do this towards your brothers and sisters. I know you have a PhD on what's wrong with them. And it probably bothers you more than anything when someone else comes in and says, I, your, your brother is such an amazing young man. And you're like, well, I know more than you do. Don't pull a ham and focus on what is wrong. Pull a Christ. Your brother is valued at such a level that Jesus Christ shed his own blood to cover him. Are you willing to participate in that ministry? The ministry of Christ unto your siblings. How about to your parents? Some of you have older parents and there's some deep hurts. You've seen a lot of weakness. Are you willing to pull a Shem and a Japheth and back in and cover it with grace? How about you parents towards your children? It's very easy to see the weaknesses of our children. But are you willing to have Jesus' lens and his mind towards your children. He shed his own blood and backed into a cross to cover them. Are you willing to do the same towards their weaknesses? How about your fellow members in the body of Christ? Some of you are living on campus and have a dorm mate. And you're beginning to see over time, after four weeks now, that there's some weakness there. Are you willing to back in with the grace of God and cover it? How about in this body? whether it's the leadership that you see, that you've seen things that they do that isn't perfect, the way that we as leaders handle things, it could be done better. You see, we're an imperfect work here. We're being sanctified. Are you willing to back in it instead of just studying and fixating on what is wrong to actually cover it the way Jesus Christ covered you? And how about the leadership towards you? If we can do this and love each other, with this same grace. You see, every time that someone is critical of you, do you know what we have an easy stumble towards? Throwing down the garment and staring at their criticism. See, it's funny, someone else may be the perpetrator of a problem, but your response to that is of the utmost importance. 
If someone throws a dirt ball in your face and you're like, hey, excuse me, what was that? You see, if you stare at their problem, hey, look at that, that's horrible Cain behavior. I'm sorry, Canaan behavior, ham behavior. I can't believe you just did that. All you're doing is staring at the, at the problem too. You see, if someone strikes you, if someone throws a mud pie in your nose, what do you do? You're prepared, you're bearing a cross, and you're ready with the garment of grace to cover them. You know that really is hard for those that are throwing mud pies to constantly be covered with grace? It's really irritating. They actually would sort of rather have you get mad at them because it convicts them when you respond with grace. And I think that each one of us could use an extra supply of grace today to do precisely what I'm describing. Every one of us, without exception, starting with me. I want to be a blanket carrier of the grace of God. He backed into that cross and stayed there until it was finished. Are we willing to bear the ministry of reconciliation and keep laboring alongside of each other, offering our life, serving the way he served us until we see something change? Let's not give up on each other. Let's keep laboring to serve. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. To take this specific message deeper through our daily Thunder discussions, visit ellerslie.com, where you can also explore our sermon library or learn more about joining us in person at the Church at Ellerslie here in Windsor, Colorado. Thanks for listening.